and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions for Consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's episode, Listen to Your Gut, Navigating Gastrointestinal Issues. Today, my guest is Stephanie Devine. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Lisa. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Before we start, I want to talk a little bit about Stephanie's bio. Stephanie is a registered dietitian and owner of Divine Nutrition and Wellness. She is located in Princeton, New Jersey. Stephanie specializes in gastrointestinal issues. She received her master's degree from California University of Pennsylvania and her undergraduate degree from West Virginia University. Stephanie completed her dietetic internship at Augusta Area Dietetic Internship. So there we have. Welcome, Stephanie, again. Thank you. We are going to talk about GI issues today. So my first question for you, Stephanie, is what is the most common gastrointestinal issue that you come across in this practice setting? So the most common issue would be IBS. And along with IBS would be SIBO. So I would say IBS first, SIBO maybe second. You know, I'm not sure if you're aware, but with IBS, they're saying at least 50% of people with IBS actually have SIBO. And do you want to tell us a little bit more for those that aren't familiar, like if you're not a GI dietitian or work in that area, like I know pretty much all dietitians know what I, we know what IBS is, but SIBO, like, do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? Sure, sure. So what SIBO is, it stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it's, it's basically when we end up having too much bacteria in our small intestine. And along with that, we develop GI symptoms such as, you know, could be diarrhea, could be constipation. Some people, it's a mixture of both. We might, they may experience bloating, abdominal pain, gas. And with SIBO, there's actually three types of SIBO. So the most common that are tested for are methane and hydrogen, but there's a third, and it's more of a newer one, which is hydrogen sulfide SIBO. There's not really a lot of testing for that. So that's, they're working on developing new tests for that. So SIBO is definitely something that's fairly common. And, and what I, t- you don't mind, I'm going to talk about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I typically do, and most dietitians would try to do this, is we try to you know, make sure other conditions have been rolled out. So if I'm suspecting that someone does have SIBO, that's causing their IBS symptoms, then I'll, you know, ask them to ask their GI doctor to have a, a breath test to see if they do contain any of the gases for SIBO, if they're positive. Well, I find that really interesting because the other thing I wonder as you were talking about that is, so as you have these clients or that come to you and see and seek out your, your help with this and navigating, there's, if there's three different types, I bet that can be really confusing for the patient too, right? Yes, it definitely can. And what happens is sometimes they take the test and they're told that they have SIBO, but they don't know what type. Well, the difference is that treatment wise, it's 
depending on what type of SIBO they have, the treatment could be a little bit different. So it is important to, to know. So sometimes I'll have them get the copy of the results or at least ask what type of SIBO they have. So at least we know a little bit more as far as factors and what treatment might be of benefit. Oh, definitely. And it sounds like that's a good segue into talking about what are some of the common misconceptions about gut health? Again, I imagine them coming to see you and there's probably so many different misconceptions with this being like just so many different things that can be possible here. Definitely. Definitely. I would say one is the, are you familiar with the low FODMAP diet? Yes. Okay. So many people with IBS and they found that about two thirds of people with IBS find relief on the low FODMAP diet. So one of the misconceptions is that this low FODMAP diet is something that they should stay on indefinitely. And that's not how it works. So with the low FODMAP diet, they, the elimination phase, typically they say is about two to six weeks. But what I found is most clients find relief within the, the, the first two weeks. So what we would have is the first phase, the elimination phase, so approximately two weeks. And then the reintroduction phase is where they start to reintroduce different categories from the fermentable carbohydrates to determine dose-wise, like if they do have an issue, is it, you know, can they tolerate, you know, a two, two spears of asparagus or can they tolerate seven spears of asparagus? So the reintroduction phase is really, really a key component of the low FODMAP diet. So from that, they, they're able to determine which FODMAP categories are an issue. So that's really important to, to do the reintroduction. And then the third phase would be where they personalize. So it's kind of more of the practical phase. Okay. So we know of the six FODMAP categories that three of them are an issue. How can we, you know, learn to incorporate you know, those foods that are high FODMAP, maybe you can talk, they can tolerate a small amount of that. So that the reintroduction and personalization phases are extremely important. And that's something that gets missed off and they're given a sheet and said, okay, follow low FODMAP diet, this will, this will help you. So it's really helpful to find a dietitian that's trained in working with the low FODMAP diet. And I did get certified through Mon Monash University. They have a certification certificate program. And it's really comprehensive, a lot of great information it, all, along with the diet. It also talks about other strategies that, that other treatment strategies that are beneficial for people that have IBS. Wow. That's fantastic. So it sounds like that's something that, that you would recommend other dietitians that are trying to get into the GI space do make sure yes. you're trained. Right. I'm going to date yeah. myself, but I remember in college, like it wasn't this, I don't remember, I, we had the GI part that we learned, but I don't remember it being this comprehensive <laughs> and I definitely don't remember FODMAP being talked about. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it was, if I'm correct, I think it's 2000 and early to before 2010. I don't know the exact date, but I know it. And I graduated much earlier than that. So yes, it hasn't been around as long. Yeah, but I think it's it's fascinating all these different diets coming out, but especially ones that are geared toward this particular area of GI. Right. So thank and you. Can, thank you for sharing that. Sure. And just to kind of feed in from that, what happens to some people, they they end up doing a low carb diet for, you know, low carb or keto diet for whatever reason. And they find sometimes they find much relief from their digestive symptoms. So they're like, oh great. Well, maybe it's because they're eating low FODMAP foods and that's helpful. But the problem there, when you have someone that's following, you know, a keto or low carb diet long-term, 
what we tend to happen is that the production of the short chain fatty acids are reduced. And so long-term, we that's not something that we would want anyone to follow. So that's another misconception is that all carbs are bad. Let's just take them out. I feel so much better. But, you know, you're not seeing the inside. You're not seeing what the gut looks like having been on a low carb or like a keto diet for, for a long term. And one important short chain fatty acid that's being researched greatly right now is butyrate. And what they're finding with the butyrate, that higher levels of butyrate can help de decrease inflammation, increase immunity, potentially decrease appetite and maintain the gut barrier so that our, you know, we have a stronger gut and you may have heard of leaky gut. So typically yeah. with uh, butyrate, that's going to keep our gut intact. So there's less chances that we're going to have any type of digestive symptoms or gut issues. Wow. That's an interesting fact you just shared. Thank you. I love hearing new research that's coming out. That's what I mean. Like a researcher will always have a job because there's something else to research. And then once they do the research, they say it needs more research. So <laughs> yeah. we keep researching with this yes, particular area. Yeah. And then the whole microbiome, like you can probably talk a whole nother podcast about that. So yes, there there's so much to talk about. I would love to hear some of your successes that will help other colleagues listening that are working in this particular population. Sure, definitely. So these may sound like really simple suggestions and maybe a little elementary, but they're really, really important. So with GI, you know, many times you think about, okay, we have to, you know, watch what we're eating, change our diet, but there's really a few other factors that can have a nice impact as far as reducing symptoms. And those are just a few little strategies around eating. So one thing I'll just share a quick example. I had a, a client recently, probably about a month or so ago, and, you know, we were talking about her symptoms and, and I always ask the question, you know, do you eat, what type of pace do you eat at? Do you eat slow? Do you eat fast? And most people, you know, it might depend on, you know, if they're at work or what's going on, but in general, they, they're able to answer the question. And then we talk about, are you chewing? Because as you know, our digestion starts in the mouth. So if we're not chewing thoroughly, then, you know, that digestion you know, may not go smoothly. So we really want to make sure people are taking their time when, when they're eating, they're chewing food thoroughly. The other thing that I found, and this was big for this, this client herself, was that her eating environment was really, really stressful. So she was, she was living, she was an adult, I think she was in her late 20s, living with her fiance in her parents' house. And she knew certain foods were an issue for her. So she was trying to contribute to cooking. Her mom wanted total control. And it was, unfortunately, her eating environment was not relaxed. And I told her, I said, that can really impact the symptoms. Not thinking that she would, and much would change there because that's where she was living and how could she change much of it? Well, she followed up and she had actually, she started eating in her bedroom, which probably isn't the best place to do it, but she said she felt so much better because she was relaxed and the setting was um, more comfortable for her. Yeah. So the, the message I'm hearing is even if it's your bedroom, you find somewhere that provides relaxation to you and that's where you should be eating. Yes. It's a good tip. It's a really good tip. So no to a lot of us that are, that may have stressful jobs and then we try <laughs> to eat at our desk while we're trying to work at the same time that, I mean, is that something that you see like people reporting your clients reporting? Yes. That they're yes. rushing through meals. Right. And not, yeah. 
That, that makes a lot of sense. And that makes sense. And then, you know, it's well, another interesting tidbit with that is, you know, you talk to people that come from a big family and they'll say, I eat really fast because if I didn't, I wouldn't get to eat much, you know, growing up. So it's, it's interesting how, you know, our childhood behavior sometimes can play a part in all of this yes. as well. That's such a great point. You know, thinking back to like your, like I have a big Italian, I'm half Italian. So like big Italian families, it's like, if you're, if you're not there first, like trying to get the food, like people will, they will stab your hand trying to get food, <laughs> make sure that you're eat your food quickly. So I can relate to that. Yeah. And I have to really like remind myself to slow down. So that's a great, great tip. Like just find the comfortable place and then eat slowly. And that's just, but that takes, you know, you do have to, and I tell people, you know, you have to remind yourself, you know, you have to be mindful and think about it because, you know, if we're in a habit of eating fast and you've been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever, you know, it's, it, it does take a little remembering and, and trying to remind yourself eating relaxed environment, eating slowly. And, you know, with chewing, do you know how many chew with each bite, how much, how many times you should be chewing? Hmm, what is it? I want to guess it. Is it over 20 or something? They say 20 to 30. Yeah. So that I don't think <laughs> probably guilty of that, especially if we're talking Halloween candy. I don't think I'm going to chew that 20 times. And yeah, so that, that's something just to, to remember when you're eating. And I always say to when you're doing this, it depends on what you're eating. You know, if you're eating something really soft, you're not going to chew to 20 or 30, but you know, if, let's say for example, you're eating some almonds, you know, you could probably count to 25. So definitely. Yeah. yeah if you're eating a salad, you could probably count to 25. It's like those things that may not be as nutritious for you <laughs> that may take a little shorter. So it's a good tip. Yes. yes. Anything else for that, that the, co- or the colleagues should be aware of? I would say another thing that can be helpful is paying attention to when the symptoms occur, because sometimes they occur, you know, directly after eating, maybe they occur a few hours later. So just, you know, be in tune to asking about when in particular that that symptoms may start, because that sometimes can give you an idea more of, of what's going on based on when the symptoms are occurring. Yeah. And that's probably why we always say like in in any setting, it's good to keep a food diary. Yes. Yes. Most people don't like to do that, but I always say, you know, even if you miss a day, it's not a big deal, but if you're having symptoms, that's really, really, really helpful. I'll give another quick example. I had a client earlier today and we had tried the the low FODMAP diet for her and her main complaint was diarrhea, some fecal incontinence and occasional bloating, but nothing crazy. And the Lafamab diet did not work for her. Normally we'll give it a few weeks and she was, we were going to give it another, another week. And I had actually reached out and said, things weren't working that well, let's, can we, you know, do something sooner? So, or actually I suggested we, you know, make an appointment. So she came in today and based on her food diary and talking, I think she might have issues with histamine. So now we're going to be trying a low histamine diet for a couple of weeks to see if that might help reduce her symptoms. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you're trying to solve a puzzle <laughs> yes. in a sense, but that sounds fun. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. And I always tell, you know, I tell them there's, you know, a few other things I'm thinking, but let's, you know, this seems the most apparent right now and the low fallout diet may not work. It didn't. So let's try something new. Luckily it's not invasive <laughs> and it's not hard. And so she was agreeable. Oh, nice. That's a great example. 
So what would you say is on the horizon for gut health? So I would say, you know, you had mentioned the gut microbiome and that's really, I mean, they're really, there's so much, there's so much to learn uh, about that. And there are a few companies that do some stool testing to look at some of the bacteria. They may look at other things in the stools. So I think that's really big because what we can learn from analyzing this is that we know that some bacteria, higher levels or lower levels may be related to reduced or increased risk for particular diseases. One in particular that's getting a lot of attention right now is, and I don't, I may not pronounce it correct. I have a hard time pronouncing it, but it's Acromancia mucinophila. Have you heard of that? No, but say that fast five times. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm happy I said it correctly the first time. (laughs) So, but what what they found is that higher levels of this bacteria may help improve glucose, reduce obesity risk, improve immune response, improve lipids. So it's really getting a lot of attention. So they've tried to come up with a supplement. They're from the research I looked at, they're right now we don't know if just supplementing with this particular bacteria is helpful. But what we do know is that certain foods help your, your body to produce the bacteria. So that's really encouraging. So for example, foods containing ellagic acid, tannins, and catechins can, all, can help to increase your levels of acromancia mucinophila. And this would be found in most berries, grapes, apples, walnuts, pecans. Just in general, we know that eating more of a a whole foods plant-based diet really helps, you know, our, our nutritional status. So these all kind of fall in the lines of that as well. Yes. And what you just proved is it's hard to be a special, hard to be, I mean, it's hard to be a dietitian that specializes in more than one particular area because it, just the immense research in GI alone, like, and it would be hard to be like, oh, I'm also a cardiovascular specialist. No, <laughs> just stick to one area. <laughs> it's, it is. I, I, even that, I feel like I don't know as much. And then I start talking, like, well, I know a little, you know, so there is, if you're right, there's so much information out there. So really to try to specialize is great. There is, I did learn about this at the food and the fancy in Orlando that they have a white based stool collection kit for microbiome profile. So I don't know if you ever had to do a stool collection. It's not fun. (laughs) So this, you basically wipe and they use the white to collect. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. Advances in technology, right? Because definitely. definitely, Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Sure. A few other things I was thinking of too, that have, there's an app called Nerva. Have you, are you familiar with that app? No. How's it spelled? N-E-R-V-A. Okay. And what this app is, it's, it's for gut directed hypnotherapy. So this I learned about um, as well with the Monash course, but what they found is that about two thirds, so just as much relief from the low FODMAP diet, people found by receiving gut hypnotherapy, whether it be, there's actually psychiatrists and psychologists that are trained in gut hypnotherapy, but there's also the app, the Nerva app. And the the app is, I think, a couple years old. It is expensive if you look at prices of apps because most apps are, you know, a few dollars. But but if you think about the benefits or, you know, you would be getting from the app, and I think it's like a six-week 
program where they do the hypnotherapy, they've had really some great success uh, with the use of this app. So I do recommend that sometimes to my clients. Wow, that's fascinating. So then the app, would you use the app in tandem with the diet or you don't even have to do the diet, right? You could just use the app. You could. I I usually like to start with one piece first. (laughs) So we'll, you know, we'll start with, you know, the the diet. And then I'd like to know, you know, because you want to find out even supplement wise, I don't usually like to start with supplements because if we, you know, as you know, if we change more than one thing at one time, we don't know which is if, right. If there's a benefit, which one is, was helping. So I'd like to start with, you know, or if somebody that can't do the diet, let's say somebody with a history of eating disorders that, you know, is it's, they're, they're really fragile. So that may be somebody that focuses more on, you know, maybe like the gut hypnotherapy because, you know, we don't want to look at making too many restrictions, setting anything off in someone with a history of eating disorders. Yeah. It's so true. And it's, be cognizant of all that. And oh, that's speak, so fascinating. Speaking of, I was going to add this little tidbit too, is I would say approximately 50% of my clients have anxiety or high stress in their life. So that really can impact any of their digestive symptoms. Oh, definitely. Definitely a connection there. Yeah. Big, big connection. I had, I had a client years ago. And he was saying that he had to be really careful with what he ate. And he, he said he would go on vacation. He could eat everything. Nothing bothered him. So it's amazing how big stress can impact that. Oh, wow. And then, and then he comes back and then everything bothered him. <laughs> yes. So the moral <laughs> of the story is stay on vacation all the time. <laughs> yeah. So do, you don't need to work. Just stay on vacation. You don't need to hire a dietitian. Just go on vacation. No, I'm just, just go on vacation. <laughs> my dietitian said I have to be on vacation all the time. My doctor said that. <laughs> oh wow! Any other new interventions that you've heard of? Not really. I mean, the only thing is there are you know they're coming out with may have seen some of these at at the expo in, in Orlando, but there there are a lot of fermented foods. They're adding prebiotics and probiotics to like some of the spritzer drinks. So you're finding a lot more of the prebiotics and probiotics in in some of the food sources. So that's kind of on the newer, you know, on the newer end. Yes. I'm sure you took some, I have still one sample I have to try. It's like a little packet you add to your water. I haven't tried it yet, but thought it was interesting. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, A supplement that I really like to use is, is Atrantil. Have you heard of that one? No. Okay. How's that one spelled? I'm, I'm writing these down because I'm learning so much from you. Sure. It's A-T-R-A-N-T-I-L. And it's it helps with the digestive symptoms, whether it be bloating, gas, abdominal pain, constipation, diarrhea. And a lot of times what I'll have people do is once they've gone through the low FODMAP diet and they've determined, let's say garlic and onions are in the fruit tank category, and they're usually one of the biggest offenders and they're really hard to maneuver, especially when you're in a social setting or, you know, you're going out, it's really hard to avoid those too. So I like to use the atrantil, like, okay, I'm going out and I can't control as much of, of what I'm you know eating. Then that supplement can be very helpful. And ingredients are, are peppermint, horse chestnut, and just some polyphenols. So it's pretty simple. All right. I'll have to check that out. Sounds like, like anybody can use that. Not if you don't have a, even if you don't have a specific issue, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Thanks for that tip. You're welcome. All right. How about one, would you 
share with us one story showcasing your work or an example of a client? I know you did one earlier, but if there's another one you want to share at this time. Sure, sure. So I had a, a client who was in her late 50s and she had come to me for in, inconsistent fecal incontinence and urgency while running. So she was a pacer with like races. And so she was in these running groups and she was really struggling for about a year, not, not being able to run more than two miles without having to find the bathroom. So it was really, you know, impacting her, her life, her quality of life was really minimal. She was nervous about eating anything because she really, you know, wanted to, to run and be able to still be a pacer, but it was, it was a big struggle. So, you know, they did the test, you know, colonoscopy, endoscopy, everything was pretty much normal. And she was, so when she first came to me, she was just basically eating an anti-inflammatory diet, you know, mainly, you know, whole foods, a pretty clean diet. She was eating a large amount of like fruits and vegetables. So what I decided to do, instead of going to the full low FODMAP diet, I, based on her, like you said, based on her diet history, I looked at what she was consuming. It looked like she was having a high intake of poly also sorbitol and mannitol. She was having high amounts of excess fructose with the higher amounts of fruit she was taking. And then her fruit tan intake was high as well. So, and I talked to her potentially about doing, looking into pelvic floor physical therapy to see if she had any issues with her pelvic floor. So she started with just reducing her intake of those three categories, the polyols, the excess fructose and the fruit tans. And she followed up three weeks later and she wanted to buy me flowers. She was just <laughs> so happy. Like it, and I, I have, I'm going to almost cry now because I get so excited for the, for my clients that she's like, I, I can live again. And, you know, it's, that's really why I do what I do. And, you know, I decided to specialize in GI and this was one of the reasons, not just her, but examples like her that I, I had worked somewhere and they were doing these full day physicals and they would have like a 15 page medical history. And one full page was you know, asking about gastrointestinal symptoms and people would write, no, you know, no to everything, no diarrhea, no constant, not, not, they were all no. So, you know, as a dietitian, you look at their medical history, you look at their labs, you know, you do the assessment, you kind of plan, okay, this is what we'll, we'll talk about. And I, so I sit down and I'm thinking, okay, well, their cholesterol is high. I saw that on their labs. So I don't, you know, digest if they have no issues. And then I start talking to me like, well, I don't eat this food because it causes, you know, diarrhea. I don't eat this food because it caught. And they were so, they thought it was normal, like just to have all, you know, gas and, and diarrhea. And they thought it was normal to have to restrict so many foods and to live like that. And, and it, I always, my, my phrase is it's not, it's common, but it's not normal. Like you shouldn't have these symptoms on a regular basis. That's all. That is the best story. And congratulations on that success because you're just proving the importance of registered dietitians in general, because yes. the, the, the fact that they're suffering from that for so long, that GI issue, and then all of a sudden, like you work with them and literally in three weeks, like it's such a short time from the years that they've probably been suffering with this issue and that you turn, and then they're ready to give you flowers. So well yes. done. Round she of wanted, applause. Thank you. <laughs> she actually, some, one of my colleagues who doesn't specialize, she does general nutrition. She referred her to me. She wanted to buy her flowers. Oh, <laughs> she was so happy. It was just, it's a great feeling Aww. to know that you're able to help someone. Yeah. That was a thing that, thank you for sharing. That was a really good one. You're welcome.
How about, what would you say if you just had one bottom line takeaway to tell our audience about this particular area, what would you say for them to do? What, what should they do or what should they be aware of? Don't just focus on diet, you know, think about other, you know, factors, stress, sleep is the major factor in our gut health. So chronic high stress, not sleeping well, those can have an impact. So whether it be, you know, if you're trying to help someone or just yourself, we have to really realize how important, you know, how much of an impact they have on not just our overall health, but our gut health as well. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. And I want to just ask a couple of quick, fun questions. And since Halloween is coming up, I want to know, what is your favorite Halloween candy? My favorite Halloween candy is probably a Reese's peanut butter cup. And it's low fun up too. <laughs> so there you go. So you're, you're being a good role model to your clients. <laughs> and how would you describe a healthy Halloween? Well, you could have some pumpkin soup. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, I guess we can, with the soup, we can probably have like a salad with it or something and then some candy as the dessert. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah, we planned our meal. All right, how about in all of the costumes or years that you had a costume, what was your favorite costume and why? Oh, this one's easy. I have a husband and two daughters. So my daughters now are are 14 and 12, but I miss the days where I could pick out their Halloween costumes, I admit. (laughs) Um, So when they were younger, we would do a, you know, a family theme. My costume, I was the map from Dora the Explorer. Yeah. So I made it. That was when I had time because they didn't have 50 activities, you know, every evening. So I made the map and then my oldest daughter was Boots the monkey. So I got like a onesie and made her a little Boots costume. My youngest one looked a little bit like Dora, but we did buy a Dora costume. And then my Mm -hmm. husband was Diego the Explorer. So that was my favorite. What about about yours? I I like that your husband participated. So (laughs) (laughs) mine just kind of dresses up as himself. Okay. And this is scary. Yeah. So this can be scary. And then my daughter this year is going to be a unicorn, but I have to like figure out how she wants it to light up. So I have to figure out how to put the lights on it and make it light up. How old is she? She's four. So that'll be fun. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your insights with us, Stephanie. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And then to our audience, thanks for listening. And please tune in again and share your comments and feedback on our site. Have a great day and enjoy a healthier lifestyle with a 411 in mind. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com.